Hi, this is Larry Castle with Ken Brown for episode 59 of That's a Good Question. How do we bring all of life under the Lordship of Christ? probably noticed as uh, we began this episode that I'm back over here in the correct seat <laughs> and happy to be so. That seat, for some reason, is a little warmer. I don't, <laughs> don't know the what it is. Seat. Yeah, the hot seat. So glad to have you back over there. And uh, this week, we again are going to go back into the mailbag. And today, we're going to answer a question that uh, a viewer submitted that could be summarized as, how do we bring all of life under the Lordship of Christ. Uh, the viewer asked it this way, how does our God-given purpose translate mm. to every thought, word, and action, and, and even things like the food we eat mm. and our health? Mm. Well, first, I, I want to commend the viewer for submitting a question that assumes uh, the right kind of thing, namely mm. that we are indeed supposed to think about what we do and why to ensure that it's for the right reason including smaller things that we might not consider uh, in light of our purpose. We might think, not think about our food choices in, in light of our purpose. Mm -hmm. So I commend the viewer because they're clearly not simply thinking of the Christian life as biding time until mm -hmm. heaven, but rather in terms of our purpose right now and how we can most effectively pursue that purpose. That, uh, that biding time approach to the so-called Christian life is something that's all too common in my experience. Mm -hmm. Now, I say so-called Christian life because, really, I have real concerns about whether or not folks who are simply just waiting until Jesus comes and aren't living for Him mm -hmm. explicitly and on purpose, uh, there are real questions about to whom does that person belong yeah. if they're really living for themselves? So that's why I, I say I hesitate that. to even say this because it's probably stepping on something you plan to say later, but... <laughs> This is directly addressed in the Bible. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, so, you know, we are not our own. We're bought with a price. The Bible uh, refers to it a lot of different ways mm -hmm. that we belong to Christ. And so we need to live uh, accordingly. Yeah. yeah, and some of the some of the comments about being idle, uh, people kind of not being busy. Yeah. And so they shouldn't eat because you can't just sit around and wait for okay. Jesus to return. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exa exactly. And that's just, yeah, people were motivated to just not work. You know, there was a laziness problem in the church at Thessalonica. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in uh, First and Second Thessalonians both, it refers to that. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, even if somebody does have a job and they make a living, which is better than being yeah. lazy, they still can can use that work, use the money that comes from that work uh, for the wrong purposes, mm -hmm. you know? So we're still just sort of doing our thing until Jesus comes. So mm -hmm. I think that this happens partly because we've so emphasized our eternal destiny mm -hmm. that we've made this life then merely a waiting game until the Lord returns or He calls us home. So many Christians just approach their spiritual lives with the objective of, I'll hang around good people, Mm -hmm. And so they attend church, you know, maybe, uh, or, you know, at least sporadically. And I'll also pursue my life in a way that avoids doing obviously sinful things. Mm -hmm. And if I do that, I'll be a good Christian. And the rest of my life then is simply doing what I want, mm -hmm. as long as it's not overtly sinful. Mm -hmm. But we have in the Bible a very well-known passage that refutes that approach. 
there's perhaps no clearer passage in the Bible uh, on this issue of our purpose than what we find in 1 Corinthians 10.31. Uh, many of our viewers, I'm sure, will remember what that says. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Now, I just want to point out a couple of things about that, uh, that passage. One, it centers on the glory of God. So we need to be clear about what the glory of God is. Mm-hmm. And then how everything fits into it to our viewers' question that we're trying to address today. But secondly, it clearly includes the small stuff, yeah. like eating and drinking or whatever you do. So first we need to understand what our purpose is. What is this thing, the glory of God? It's one of those terms that is used in church a lot. If you were to ask a lot of people, what is your purpose? They would say the glory of God. But if you ask, what does the glory of God mean? I mean, Mm -hmm. this is the very first question in the famous Westminster Catechism. You know, what we've, is your we've purpose? gone a step further. You know, we talk about little kids come home and what'd you learn about a church? And if you say if you say God or Jesus, you you got it right. We go a little further. Oh, we yeah. even know we've graduated the too. answer to the question, why am I here? God's the glory, glory of God. Yeah. Now though, what does that mean? You know, yeah. and the that first question and answer in that famous question and answer in the Westminster Catechism mm-hmm. says, What is the chief end of man? You know, what is his purpose? And it says to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So a lot of people would answer it the right way. We would say the glory of God, but if asked what is that, I think a lot would have a tough time. So I've defined it over the years in preaching and teaching here at our church as the display of God's character in our lives. Mm -hmm. So we are made for the purpose of emulating God's character. And you see that a few ways in Scripture. One is that we were created to reflect God. That's what the Bible means when it talks about humanity having been made in God's image. To put it another way, we were made to display what God is like, to display God's character in the way that we think, in the way we talk, in the way that we act. And in addition to that being the way we were created, we're now being recreated Mm -hmm. in Christ because, of course, there's a problem between creation and our individual salvation, namely the entrance of sin. And so that's distorted the mirrors that we were made to be reflecting what God is like back to him. So now we're being remade to restore the image that's been distorted by sin so that we in the Christian life are, if we're growing in the Lord as we should be and as God expects that we will be, we're increasingly displaying what God is like more clearly. That's why Romans 8.29 says that we have been saved in order to be, it says, quote, conformed to the image of his Son, conformed Mm -hmm. to the image of Christ. You can also see that the glory of God is, in fact, his character because the Bible defines sin as failing to live up to it. Romans 3.23, famously, all have sinned and fall short of what? Fall short of the glory of God. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think it's important for us to take a little bit of a... A closer look talk about the glory of God because as you say it's a central theme of 1 Corinthians 10:31 mm-hmm. and it's very important throughout the Bible but there are a couple passages like for example in the gospel of John that seem to be almost contradictory mm-hmm. regarding the the glory of God mm-hmm. you know on the night before Jesus was crucified in John 17 we see him there praying that the father would restore his glory mm-hmm. uh, the glory that he had before he came to earth um, so glory appears to be something he used to have, and he asks to have it restored because apparently he no longer has it. But then in chapter 2 of John, 
uh, when recounting Jesus' miracle of turning the water into wine, mm -hmm. it says that by doing that, he revealed his glory. So then the question is how, on one hand, Jesus, uh, how is he revealing his glory while on the other hand, you know, glory while he was on earth, yeah. on the other hand, he's uh, asking to have this glory restored because he apparently no longer has it. That's a, that's a, that's a great question. And as I went through years ago here at the church, I preached a series through the Gospel of John. And that was one that I had to deal with because, mm -hmm. as, you're, as you say, John chapter 2, he's revealing his glory mm -hmm. by what he does. You get to John chapter 17, he's praying for his glory to be restored, mm -hmm. you know, as if he no longer has it. So uh, Dr. Combs, I'll just make a little commercial here, that Dr. Combs from our church is going to be doing a series through the Gospel mm -hmm. of John. And that's going to be about an eight-month study. It's going to be a two-semester So is this study. punting, or are we just going to wait for him no. to answer it? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Tell Combs he has to answer it. <laughs> but that'll start on September 22nd, our, our midweek program. And it's going to be live, so folks who are in the area can attend here on Wednesday nights every week for that. Or if you're not in the area, uh, it's going to be live-streamed as yeah. well. So It'll folks be available can on our YouTube our channel or on our website. But no, I'm not punting. I'm going to, I'm going to answer oh, it. Good. Good. So you're just going to steal his thunder. That's good, too. <laughs> Sorry, Dr. Holmes. Yeah, and, and I'm just this is to Combs. You have to answer however you deal with it. Deal with it the same way I did. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> so how was it that Jesus uh, did show his glory on the one hand, like you say, and yet apparently didn't have his glory and so prayed to have it restored? On the other hand, uh, the late theologian and pastor James Montgomery Boyce mm -hmm. said this. He said the answer to this lies in the two different ways that the word glory is used in the Bible. The first use of glory is what we've talked about, the display of God's character, to show what God is like. And so that's why Jesus could say this in, in John 14, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Mm -hmm. It's not that the Son and the Father are the same person, we know that, there's one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but rather it's that Jesus, because he is God, has the same character qualities as God the Father. So if you've seen me, what you've seen in me is what you see in the Father, because we have the same character. So the first way that glory is used is what we've talked about already, to display character, to show what God is like. And this glory, Jesus obviously did have during his mm -hmm. earthly ministry. So why does he pray that his glory then be restored? Mm. That has to do with the second way that glory is used in the Bible. In the Old Testament, you'll remember if you just had done a cursory reading of your Bible in the Old Testament, that there are often these visible signs of the presence of God mm. mm -hmm. uh, in the Old Testament, and they would involve dazzling, brilliant light. Uh, so I'm going to give a few verses that talk mm -hmm. about that. Psalm 104 and verse 2, it says, The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. Uh, in Exodus chapter 34, the Bible says after Moses uh, had an encounter with the Lord, it says he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. Mm -hmm. When Aaron and the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. Uh, you now think about that. Now, you know that's a derivative reflection of God. Mm -hmm. You know on Moses, and now Moses, and they're afraid to come toward Moses. In Ezekiel chapter ten, the court of the temple was full of the radiance of the glory of the Lord. And so you have these two senses of the word glory: character, what God is like. Mm -hmm. Secondly, though, His splendor, His radiance, His blinding light. And before Jesus came to Earth, He had both. Mm -hmm. But when He came to Earth. He veiled that second aspect of his glory, the splendor, the radiance in his humanity. Mm -hmm. 
If he had not veiled his glory on earth, then no one could have been with him. Mm-hmm. The Bible says God dwells in unapproachable light. Mm-hmm. First Timothy chapter 6, God told Moses, no one can see me and, and live. Now, a miracle took place in Jesus' earthly ministry, what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, it says Jesus was transfigured in Matthew 17. Before them, his face shone like the sun. Clothes became as white as the light. Now, the miracle is twofold. One, that Jesus was transformed, and that those who were there, three of them, three of his apostles, mm-hmm. lived to tell about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the other, the other miracle. In fact, Peter, who was one of those three who was there, he later talks about this in 2 Peter chapter 1. Before you read that, I was yeah. just thinking, so, you know, the idea of this unapproachable light. Uh-huh. Um, I was going to ask if you if you think that, and maybe, you know, you don't want to answer a question that God doesn't himself answer about himself in his word, but um, if that's indicating something further rather than just, you know, optical light, mm. You know, just about the the brilliance, the you know, connected to the mm-hmm. first use. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, his his unique, his holy character. Yes. So, yes. and I think maybe what you're going to quote it kind of indicates that. Well, that's uh, you know, you have sinful people in the presence of a holy God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly mm-hmm. right. So it is both of those. It is that you know, God is this by His nature, just beautiful. You mm-hmm. know, and we can't take it in. Mm-hmm. But then, as sinners. All the more so, what happens in Isaiah 6? Yeah. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And what does Isaiah say? You know, I saw the seraphs and they were flying and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy. To your very point is the Lord God Almighty. And then how does Isaiah? He says, "I, I, in effect, I shouldn't be here. Yeah. I am a man of unclean lips. Did I dwell did among I miss, the people Did you say, too, they, they talk about they're covering their eyes? I didn't say that, eyes. but they're yeah. covering their eyes. Yeah, thank mm-hmm. you. Right. So, exactly. you got both of those going on. But here, these guys are, you know, Peter, James, and John, Mount of Transfiguration. They're able to see Jesus in his, in his glory as sinful people. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they say to the Lord, Lord, you know, it's good that we be here, but they're bowing down. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they know <laughs> that they're out of place, really, mm-hmm. here. So they're thrilled on the one hand, but they know they're out of place. They're intimidated, mm-hmm. you know, by it. So Peter writes about it later, years later, Second Peter chapter 1. He says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Mm-hmm. For we received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, this is my son whom I love with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves, Peter says, heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And then uh, John, again, one of them that was there, Peter, James, and John, he writes later, he says, we know that we shall be like him, for because we shall see him as he is. Hmm. Now, that's one of those verses that we just you know are familiar with. We will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. But if you put it together, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. You need to put that together. You need to think about that. I mean, we'll see him and be transformed. Is that what it means? Mm-hmm. When I see him, I'll because I saw him, for I've seen him, I'll be transformed by seeing him. Could be. I actually agree with um, the late S. Lewis Johnson and, and others. It's saying that we will be able to see him because we will be like him at that mm-hmm. point. <laughs> that is, if we're not like him, you couldn't see him and live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that fits. The Bible in Hebrews 12 says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Mm -hmm. So we will see him when we are in our glorified bodies. But in the meantime, 
the Lord, in that second sense of his glory, his brilliance, his radiance, his flesh veiled that aspect of his glory. And that's why Hark the Herald Angels Sing Mm. has a line in it that says, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. What a great line. Love that song. Yeah, and that line because of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, if we're going to uh, bring all of life under the lordship of, of Christ then, we have to know our purpose so that we can ensure that everything's subordinated to it. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't bring something under right. a vague idea you're not sure of. Right. Right. <laughs> so we've got to know what our purpose is. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Bible says clearly that our purpose is to, as you've said, glorify God. And uh, now we know what that means for us, that we display God's character in all we think, say, and mm-hmm. do. So let's make that concrete, though. <laughs> How do we do that? How far does that extend? Okay, yeah. Well, that's, that's done in our individual lives, in our personal lives, when we are gradually conformed to his character. Mm. Now, we'll talk a bit about how uh, in, in a little bit. But 1 Corinthians 10.31 also suggests that this purpose is all-encompassing because it says whether we eat, drink, or whatever we do, do it all to the glory of God. Now, if you look back at the context mm. of 1 Corinthians 10.31, which like a lot of passages that we're familiar with, that are the big cross-stitch, you know, verses that are the ones that we sign our Bibles this with. This may be the most cross-stitched. <laughs> it probably, yeah, may well be. But, you know, a lot of times we don't think about what the context is. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I bet that would be a close Oh, I think you're right. This is runner-up, <laughs> sure. That is actually definitely the most cross-stitch and most ripped out of its context. And ripped out of its context, <laughs> right. And so we want to, let's just take a little bit to look at mm. the context of this really important verse. And it will, when we look at the context, it'll bring these two things together, mm-hmm. that God's glory is his character and that it also includes everything we do. Mm-hmm. So remember that 1 Corinthians 10.31 starts with the word therefore, mm-hmm. whether you eat or drink. So that's a translation of a Greek uh, word that's called an inferential particle. Remember that? From <laughs> Pulling out the seminary education <laughs> well, you again. Remember, you remember that. Inferential particle. That means <laughs> yes, I do. Of course, course I do. Of I course, of that. course. <laughs> it's a word that's designed if to draw. Dr. Combs asks, <laughs> tell him I remember <laughs> that. Well, I'll tell him. <laughs> that it's inferential because it's drawing an inference mm-hmm. based on what precedes. Yeah. So to put it more simply, preachers have said over the years, when you see the word therefore, then always ask yourself what it's there for. Yeah. You know, I've never when, heard that, actually, until I heard you say Oh, really? It's a really good question. <laughs> okay, yeah. well, it's not original with me. But when you see that word, therefore, it's always referring to what precedes, and it's drawing a conclusion about it. So in the case of 1 Corinthians 10.31, what precedes is a discussion that goes all the way back to chapter 8, the beginning of chapter 8. And the topic for the next three chapters, 8, 9, and 10, is centered on whether the Christians in Corinth, this is in 1 Corinthians, should eat meat that had been previously sacrificed to an mm-hmm. idol. Maybe some of our viewers now will remember that. With a risk of getting us off on a tangent, this is a really good argument for reading books, not just like read a couple verses in the read morning. Read the whole or book t- of the Bible. Yeah, read yeah. through a book in pretty close proximity, if not all in one sitting. Yes. Yeah, it really helps you understand. you do them in, one, say, 16 chapters in First Corinthians. You can go through that really quickly, mm-hmm. you know, in a matter of minutes. I mean, you know, 15 minutes, you can read the whole book. Mm-hmm. And you can read it quickly, but then you got an idea, a flavor yeah, of... And if you do that regularly with the same books, it yeah, starts to really it does. become easier to understand. Exactly. Yeah. Now, as you read chapter 8, you notice a couple of things. That one, it says that the food is just food. 
There's no nothing magical that changes about its substance because it had been sacrificed to an idol. It's still meat. Mm-hmm. But there's another fact. So if it's just that, if it's just meat, then we already know, should I eat or not? Yeah, eat, because it's just still meat, mm-hmm. even though it's been sacrificed to an idol. But there's another factor, and that is what impact that eating is going to have on someone else. In particular, the concern is whether your participation might violate the conscience of someone who's newer in the Lord. Says, you know, weaker in the Lord in, the, uh, mm-hmm. in most of our translations. But they're weaker in the Lord they're, because they're new in the faith. They don't know what you know. But because you're doing it, they may follow. And in fact, they're sinning, not because it's sin to eat it in itself, but because they think it is. Mm-hmm. Now, that's just an issue to stop and pause and think about for a second, that something that's actually not sin mm. in itself can be sin because... Mm. And the Bible teaches this because it violates the conscience of the individual, even if that conscience is misinformed, mm. because our conscience is given to us to be a guardrail, to keep us on the straight and narrow, and therefore we should respect it as such. And so if our conscience is violated, then, then, we, then we shouldn't do it. Now, we should also seek to inform our conscience mm-hmm. so that what actually bothers our conscience are the things that should bother it's accurate, us. Yeah. It's accurate rather than things that are not wrong, but we just think they are. And that's what you would have in 1 yeah. Corinthians chapter 8. It really helps you understand that sin's more than just activity. Mm-hmm. It's, your, it's your attitude, it's the way you think, it's whether or not you're willing to just go off and be autonomous. That's good. And the reason that violating your conscience is sin is because it means you're taking sin lightly. Mm-hmm. You think it's sin, but you're still willing to go ahead and do it, yeah. right? Romans 14 is another chapter in your Bible that talks about, should I eat? certain kinds of foods. And it concludes, the very last verse of Romans chapter 14 says this, uh, whatever is not of faith is sin. Mm -hmm. That is, if you're not sure it's right, then it's wrong to do it. The the Bible Knowledge Commentary summarizes that verse just with this, when in doubt, don't. That's what it says in the commentary, Mm -hmm. when in doubt, don't. Yeah. All right. So uh, the Apostle Paul is saying that the meat's just meat, and... uh, doesn't matter where it came from. You don't have to ask a question for conscience sake, he right. says. Right. Uh, but but that Christian should always consider the impact of our actions um, because they have effects on others, yeah. right? right? And uh, if it's going to cause them to sin, then we should be willing to give it up, forego it. Uh, so how does that relate to then the glory of God? Oh, Back to our that was topic. the original question. That right? was the original <laughs> question, yes. <laughs> okay, fine. Well, it, it does relate, believe it or not, because in being willing to sacrifice something of my own for the sake of somebody else, what am I doing? I'm loving them. Mm-hmm. Being willing to forego meat for the benefit of someone else is an act of love, and that's exactly what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, that we should put love... Mm. For this other person over knowledge, that is, rather than imposing our knowledge on that weaker brother or sister and saying, hey, you don't know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. I've been around longer than you. I know the deal. It's just meat, so let's both dig in. Mm -hmm. Rather than imposing your knowledge, and Paul juxtaposes knowledge and love in in that chapter, he says you should love them enough to be willing to put it aside. In fact, Paul says of himself, if his eating cause anyone to sin, then he would not eat that particular thing for the rest of his life. He, he mm-hmm. says that. Then the next chapter, after chapter 8, chapter 9, Paul talks about the many things that he's been willing to give up 
for the sake of others. He uses this phrase in chapter 9, but we did not use any of these rights. I have a right to do that, but mm -hmm. I didn't use them for the sake of other people. I actually used that passage, you may recall, last year I do. on our blog about whether Paul would wear a mask. I, forget, I was going to say, I forget what the issue is. There's a lot of people talking about their rights. That's right, it was masks. <laughs> and would Paul wear a mask, you know? And yeah. I use those, those principles to try to say, you know, Paul would not just be thinking about his rights, because he says, I, I'm willing to put aside my rights for the sake of, of other people. And this is an example of the way these principles of Scripture are to be applied accurately beyond the immediate issue that was at play in the first century. If you, if, you mm -hmm. only, if you only think, surely none of us do, and I hope people have been to our church for any length of time, know better than to think that the application of what the Bible says is restricted to the particular issue that was at hand in those mm -hmm. days. I mean, meat offered to idols. Who, who among us is going to confront that in our lifetime, yeah, right? right? But the principle with regard to that yeah. can be extended to all sorts of things. And, and just to clarify, you're not saying context doesn't matter. You're saying there are there are extended applications of something when taken in its proper context. Once you get the context, yeah. now you can apply it a lot of ways and should. Yeah, it's key to actually being able to you, apply you it in apply other it. situations. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. So that's partly how Scripture that's 2,000 or more years uh, you know, old can still be relevant to us. So this emphasis on love as the motivator then takes us to the character of God, mm -hmm. back to the glory of God and the character of God, because that's one of his attributes. Mm -hmm. The Bible just says straight up, God is love. So when we love, we're displaying the character of God. We're glorifying him. That's then why it comes full circle when you come to uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31. Therefore, this discussion that started three chapters earlier mm -hmm. in chapter 8, the reason it has that phrase, whether you eat or drink, is because it was, should I eat it or not? Mm -hmm. And so Paul says, whether you eat, whether you eat the meat that's been previously offered to an idol or not, whether you drink, he throws drink in there, mm -hmm. whether you eat or drink, or he also says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Yeah, this... this um Reminds me of something I've heard you say in the past is that in any relationship, there's at least mm, three people, mm. you know, so there's you, the other person, yes. and then the Lord. Amen. And so here you have then the, our purpose displaying God's character is his part in our relationship. So whatever we're asking that question about, whether it's meat or a number of other issues we might confront in, in our day, um, and you're saying, well, what should I do? Well, do it for God's glory because he's a part of this relationship. Yes, that's what you're saying. Oh, it does my heart good that you remember mm. that. <laughs> <laughs> I am paying attention. Right. It might not always seem like it. But <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, that purpose, displaying the character of God applies to everything, even mundane otherwise things. mundane stuff yeah. like eating and, and drinking. So uh, because it goes on to say whatever you do... Uh, in case we don't get the point, you know, whether you eat, drink, <laughs> and then Paul says, whatever you do. Now, I once had a guy in a class that I was teaching at church, not not our church. This was years ago before our church, we even started our church. Uh, and he asked me, and I was teaching about this, and he said, so how far you want to go with that, <laughs> with this glorify God idea? And I said, uh, I don't know, whatever you do. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of right there in the text. <laughs> I know, you know, but he's thinking, and you, you can see where he's coming from. He's hearing that, and he's going, wow, this Christian life thing mm -hmm. is much more serious than biding time. 
Yeah, we've I've over the years talked with the teenagers about the same concept and explained that in trying to help make that connect that dot is that even recreation, there's a God glorifying purpose for that. And so that's why we don't live for recreation. But it's also why we make sure we fit recuperation and refreshment in because we can't just run endlessly. Exactly. Perfect. Exactly right. Good application of it. So we have to think about what we do in all areas. And whether or not it reflects the character of God. Now, I want to add another crucial component to this, and I know you taught to teenagers this for lots of years as well, and that is that we consider not only why we do what we do, but our mission, that mm-hmm. we consider our mission while we're displaying God's character in all we do. Now we're talking. And yeah. <laughs> that's what we do. Yeah. If we don't think about what we do in addition to why we do it, then we will just live as Christians, people who are waiting for heaven, biding time, but pursue our own agenda. Let me say mm-hmm. that again, okay? If we do not think about what we do, in addition to why we do it, mm-hmm. then we're just going to say, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven, and all the while pursuing our own agenda. We'll pursue worldly things in the most Christian way possible. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Temporary things, mm-hmm. things that are going to be destroyed. Where moth and, you know, that Jesus said, put your treasure in heaven, right? Mm -hmm. So why do we do everything? It's the glory of God. It's the display of his character. What we do, though, is also defined by the Lord. It's the reason that, in fact, he's left us here. It's not just to wait our time out until we go to, to heaven. And if you put both of those together, then we have the twin rails on which the track of the Christian life is supposed to run. Mm-hmm. The twin rails on which the track of your life as a Christian is supposed to run. If you're a Christian and you separate those, the why and the what it is I'm supposed to do, then you get a good person doing substandard things. Mm-hmm. And this is what I've observed for decades of my adult Christian life. People who believe they should do everything to the glory of God, but all that means is that they should live as a Christian as they pursue their own agenda. Mm -hmm. But we're here to pursue God's agenda, which is briefly, to use His resources to advance His mission through His church. It means you steward your time, your talent, your treasure to maximize those for what we call the Great Commission. Mm. Yeah, I I think I'd mentioned to you some time ago I had a dear brother who, you know, does uh, care about what we're talking about here, you know, obviously, because we were sitting there talking about it at his initiative. Mm-hmm. And uh, he asked uh, the question, you know, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and then mm-hmm. 10, that we were created unto good works. Mm-hmm. And he asked a really good question. He was like, so what is that talking about? What are these good works were created unto? Mm-hmm. And so that leads to then here what we're talking about. What are some really practical examples of yeah. working that out? How does it look in the Christian life? Uh, how does the glory of God look uh, in a struggle, for example, with fear? Good. Yeah, very good question. Very good. So we should think about, then, all we do, the good things we do, and the struggles we have, and we should ask how they reflect God. Mm -hmm. And also ask how they reflect on God. So if I'm fearful, fear. What am I reflecting about God? Mm. I'm, I'm reflecting a small view of God. This is why the Bible says, number one command, most often given command, do not fear. Mm-hmm. Fear not. And then most often it will not just leave it at that. Don't fear. But it will say, you know, as Jesus did the night before he was crucified in John chapter 14, he said, you know, stop letting your hearts be troubled. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't leave it at that. You believe in God. Mm. 
believe also in me. There's a reason for you not to have troubled hearts Mm -hmm. because of God. In Isaiah chapter 41, Isaiah chapter 41, verses uh, 10 and 11, it says, do not fear. And then it says, for, why? Mm -hmm. I am your God. Do not be dismayed for, why? Because I am with you. Mm -hmm. I will strengthen you, and I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So if I'm fearful, I'm reflecting something. I'm failing to glorify God because I'm reflecting something false about God, Mm -hmm. that God can't handle it or something like that. If I'm worried regularly, I'm reflecting that, you know, God doesn't, God's got this? No, God doesn't have this, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm selfish with my money, I've forgotten the character of God. That includes the fact that it's his money, because why? Mm -hmm. He's the creator. Therefore, he's the the owner. Take something like you mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. uh, recreation, leisure, vacation. If I do those things with no attachment to the mission, then I'm just pursuing my own agenda. I should think of those, all of them, in terms of how they offer opportunity to become more like Christ, to glorify God, to display his character, and or to prepare me for use in his work, the rest you were talking mm-hmm. about, so that we don't live to play, we play to live. Mm-hmm. We play, we, we rest, we go on vacation, but we do that to get in the game. And what's the game? It's the mission. So, in, and I know you've done this, you and I have talked about this. We did it as well with our, our girls. Uh, just had some wonderful memories about being together and God giving mm-hmm. us those times together. But those were times for us to... Uh, to reflect the character of God, but all to bond with one another mm-hmm. for further effectiveness in the in the mission. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this one... is a, this is a plug for family camp. If you didn't go this year, yes, indeed. Seriously, as we we were driving to family camp this year, my girls were just talking about how some of their best memories from childhood Amen. Amen. are family camp. So here we are using vacation, yes, to go to a church event. But it was great. And by God's grace, and we give God the glory, it is God's grace. But your three girls did that for all those years. Mm -hmm. And now your three girls are young adults. Mm -hmm. And your three girls are serving the Lord, right? Uh, You know, we don't control that. We understand that's why we give glory to God. Mm -hmm. But God uses that, the means of that kind of faithfulness and that kind of perspective. And you can put everything into that. And Mm -hmm. if you do, now you're teaching your young people and others that that look at you, uh, you're teaching them that God is most important. God's mission is most important. Yeah, yeah. That seems like it could be, Hmm. you know, people listening to this, that's really laborious. I mean, (laughs) I don't know if that's that's just just exhausts me listening to you talk about I've got to always be connecting what I do Mm. to the mission, right? Mm. And maybe even a drudgery to go, all right, so I'm going to purchase a car. How does this fit into the mission? Or Or purchase a candy bar. We're going to go out to dinner tonight. (laughs) How does this fit into the mission? But it really actually, I mean, you I may be stepping yeah, on something you're going to say, but that that actually simplifies things in a lot of ways for you. In a lot of ways, kind of like having a budget simplifies exactly. deciding where you're going to spend money, yes. you know, because now you don't have to worry about, man, was this a poor use of my money? Or, yeah. hey, is this a really good idea? Even though it's fun, doesn't mean it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, but you're assuming in saying that I don't have to worry if this was a good use of my time or my money. That's assuming that the person is giving consideration to that. Right. You know, and we want to be able to assume that. Yeah. And we want for our viewers to do that because God calls us to do that. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, assuming someone does really care about, hey, I want to use everything, 
eat, drink, whatever I do to the glory of God, mm-hmm. then they do want to think about it in granular you know, detail. Yeah. But if you really care about that, this is actually something that makes it easier on you. It, you don't have to worry all the time because you don't have some criteria against which to, to compare it and make a decision. Mm-hmm. And over time, if you do this, kind of like with a budget as well, you know, it, it becomes second nature. Right. It does. This is habit forming. Mm-hmm. So that you aren't having to regularly go through a checklist. You know, should I buy this coffee at Starbucks? You know, should I go to this place unless we go out to eat tonight or whatever? Mm-hmm. Because you've regularly been doing this and prioritizing God and his, and his yeah, priorities. You set up patterns that then you just kind of operate on that basis. It's the way you yeah. do things. Now, I recommend then you do that. You think about why am I doing it? <clears throat> Is this advancing my spiritual growth and the mission that the Lord's given me? And along the way, take advantage of what in church history have been called the means of grace. Mm-hmm. And that and that, if you do that, it will renew your mind and create habits that will grow and you can remain in. Now, what are those means of grace? Primarily three. The Word of God is a means of God's grace. So Immerse yourself in the Word of God. Read, read the Word of God at one sitting, if at all possible. Read mm-hmm. through the book of First Corinthians or, mm-hmm. or whatever. So the Word of God. And if you have any questions, any of our viewers, about, well, hey, where do I get started with that? Info at cbctrenton.com. That's the business we're in, helping people do this very thing. So we don't want to just talk it. We want to see people do it, and we will be happy to turn you on to some resources that will help you do that. Mm-hmm. But major means of grace, the, the Word of God. The Spirit of God. Uh, and that is the Spirit of God uh, who abides with you if you are a Christian, who indwells you, with whom you have a special relationship that those who are outside of Christ do not have, and uses the Word of God then to, to cause you to care about what it says, you know, to, to appropriate and want it to take place in your life, and convicts you when... When, when you don't. But mm-hmm. it's a great thing. This is God with you, moving you in the right direction. And then the other means of grace is the, the people of God. Mm-hmm. You've got the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God. Because, you know, you've already alluded to th- discussions that we've had. God has allowed us to be together for next mm-hmm. next month, 20 years. Yeah. 20 wow. years. Wow. And that's all. Well, it's been over 20 years because actually we started the summer June yeah. of, of 01. Yeah. was the first time we met. So it's been over 20 years now. Mm. But that process of just the people of God and being able to help one another and to be mm-hmm. able to iron sharpen iron and that kind of thing. And the church is that. The church is full of people like that. So friend, I encourage you. These are means of grace that God has has made available to you. And I want to mention a few things. I don't know how much time we've got, but uh, how far are we here? Yeah, about 38 minutes. You okay, take I'll take a few yeah. minutes to, to just say beware. Do what we've said here. If you do that, you'll be in great shape, okay? And beware of mystical approaches mm. to Christian growth. Mm-hmm. You know, it it just doesn't, as exciting as it might sound, it does, just does not happen in a sort of zap kind of way. Mm-hmm. There are not these just spiritual high points where you just get zapped and all of a sudden you're the new person. I mean, the, the one thing that makes you a new person is being born again Mm. (laughs) when you are saved when you come to christ but then that starts you on a pathway of growing in christ Mm -hmm. 
This side of heaven, it's uneven because mm-hmm. we still struggle with sin, so it might be three steps forward and you know one step back. But the trajectory is upward for the Christian, mm-hmm. growing in, in the Lord. But don't look for mystical high points. Mm-hmm. And lots of people live their Christian life that way. They, they, they are looking for the next conference to go to where they get jazzed, you mm-hmm. know, about, mm-hmm. and they make decisions and they come back all pumped up. And then they really do for a period of time until that you know emotional high kind of wears off, which it, it inevitably does. It can even be more mundane than that. I think one of the most common questions I've encountered in helping people, <clears throat> counseling people, young, a lot of times it's younger people, is uh, trying to help them understand why they don't feel something mm. in a particular way. That's good. Um, and sometimes they're you know very sincerely troubled that they don't feel. I'm not always sure exactly what they're looking for, but yep. something they think they're supposed to feel mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and trying to help them understand that, you know, f- first, it's not limited to just uh, an intellectual question, mm-hmm. but first and foremost, we're, talk- we're taught in God's word to have a knowledge of God that leads yes. to salvation. Yes. You know, he's revealed himself in written format. Mm-hmm. And so we can go there and we can get to know him by how he describes himself. Mm-hmm. And um, so if we're looking for like something that approximates the feeling we had the first time we had that date with that special person. It's, it's not like that. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's, we need to focus less on experience and more of understanding who God is by what he says about himself. Amen. Very well said. Very well said. You know, part of the reason you have people coming and asking you that, though, is because in the Christian world these days, mm-hmm. and for a good while, that's what's modeled. Right. Experiential Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so we think that's even the terms used to talk about it experience very explicitly now is the experience. And sometimes the Sunday, what happens on a Sunday is called our Sunday experience experience. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And that then is defined as the spirit. Mm -hmm. Well, who doesn't want to be, I mean, who among us as a Christian doesn't want to be involved in what the spirit's doing, but it's misdefining the way the spirit Mm -hmm. does his work. We had a podcast some time ago. Uh, I forgot when, and I forget exactly the question. Yeah. But we dealt. With I know some which of this. one you're talking about. I can maybe try to link to it. But we we dealt with some of this. But real quickly, just First Corinthians 14 mm-hmm. teaches the opposite: <laughs> that the the spirit does not does not bypass the mind. Mm-hmm. The spirit does not just operate directly on some some immaterial part of you, your spirit, that bypasses your brain and the functioning mm-hmm. of your thinking and your, and your mind. 1 Corinthians 14 makes very clear that the Spirit operates on the mind yeah. and that you think about it, and it's not just a zap of emotion then that you get. Mm-hmm. And that has been transformative for a lot of people, some of our young people, where we've had discussions about this, yeah. and for them to come to understand that, because without that understanding, they feel guilty. Mm-hmm. Some of them actually told me that, I feel mm-hmm. guilty. Because I'm not doing what I saw at the you know Christian concert. Right. I'm not doing what I saw at the Christian conference. You yeah. know, I'm not. I'm missing something here. Mm-hmm. And to be assured from God's word that you're not missing something, from First Corinthians 14. There's a thing called Keswick theology mm-hmm. that you're familiar with. We don't have time to go into that. That would be a probably a good session for us to do. Mm. Maybe have Dr. Combs on oh, that. That'd be, I've been looking for a way to get him on this. Yeah, <laughs> and he's you know he's written on that and studied on that extensively. But yeah. it's very important. And even most of our viewers probably don't know what that is, but it's something that goes back over a hundred years. But it's had effects on modern Christianity in ways that we don't realize. And so mm-hmm. that would be a very good thing for us to do. Last thing, 
is I recommend a couple of John MacArthur books. Mm. One is The Gospel According to Jesus, because The Gospel According to Jesus uh, refutes this idea that I get mm. saved and then I just live my life the way I want to live it until Jesus comes back. You know, it's probably on my top 10 books list. Of, and, yeah. yeah, and it ought for good reason. Yeah. The Gospel According to Jesus, we have it in our resource center. He wrote another one that's similar, just called Slave. And it's yeah talking about the word that's translated servant or slave sometimes in the New Testament, and the idea that we belong to Christ, and mm. so you know everything we do is for Christ. Oh, very good. All right. Well, I think uh, that's all the time we have, okay. and the people said Amen. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, we thank you for uh, joining this week. Uh, for that's a good question, and uh, as always, if you don't already subscribe to our channel, so you know when new episodes come out, and if you hit that notification bell, you'll you'll actually have it pop up when you go to YouTube, and, and you'll get an email reminder. And uh, so we thank you for being with us this week, and we'll see you next time. If you have a question you'd like us to consider, you can send that into our email address, info at cbctrenton.com, or text it to us at 97000.